All right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, welcome to uh, the EricSwanRacing.com podcast. This is episode number 30, I think, uh, with Skyler Cop. And uh, introduce yourself. Tell me a little bit about your, your background and history. Uh, you're a motorcycle racer, and uh, I think that's that's awesome. So I'm just trying to get some interesting stories from the people in the community. Yeah, like I said, my name is Skylar Kopp, uh, first year expert racer with CCS this year. Uh, well, kind of, injury kind of cut that short this year. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, also a rider coach with Motorcycle Excitement, and uh, probably been at the track game now for like five or six years. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Uh, doing any street riding or uh, track only at this point? I, just, I used to do a lot of street riding. Like I had uh, three bikes in a row with over 100,000 miles on them. And then I started the track and just don't like I have one street bike now. It's a GS 500 and I don't think it's been turned on like three months. <laughs> oh, yeah. You just get so much more enjoyment out of the out of the track lifestyle. Yeah, it's a lot. Of, I like the challenge of it. The fact that every time you go out, you're having fun. Um, a lot of times on the street, you're stuck in traffic, especially where I live in Northern Virginia. It's just all traffic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and with the, with the racetrack, you got, you know, a familiar environment, hopefully no minivans. Everybody's going the same direction. Uh, mm -hmm. typically, so it's uh, a little safer in that aspect. There's an ambulance right on, right on, uh, uh, right on waiting with the engine on ready to mm -hmm. move up if there's any issues sometimes two or more depending on the event and how many people are there which is nice to have yep and uh yeah i said earlier this year i got to test that out <laughs> <laughs> so what happened how'd you get injured and how are you doing now uh i high-sided myself out of the uh, chicane at new jersey motorsports park uh oh. exiting just got on the throttle too hard trying trying to jump myself ahead farther than I should have been and just high side. And when the bike actually flicked, I was full lean to the right. And then the tank actually hit my arm and broke it. So cool. I was actually able to save the initial high side, but I couldn't hang on anymore because my arm was broke. And then we hit the grass, just went tumbling. <laughs> Is it uh, like your radius ulna or your humerus up, up higher? Uh, radius and ulna. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah I got uh, two plates in there, a bunch of screws. It's pretty pretty much back now just a little bit of like mobility still to go but if it's warmed up it's fine but if i'm just if it's kind of cool and i haven't messed with it, it i they have a hard time rotating it but yeah nothing to worry about <laughs> and just been doing some physical therapy on it trying to get it stronger at this point yep yeah yeah just trying to get as much of the strength back that's the other thing you spend like three months not being able to use your arm really <laughs> right. yeah everything atrophies and uh uh, you lose a lot of muscle mass really quickly, especially if there's like nerve damage in any, in any case. Um, I had an issue with my left my left arm where uh, I had no nerve firing to my left arm for a little while. And uh, I lost almost all muscle in my left arm, like 10, 15 pounds or so. You don't think about how much that would be, but, you know, yeah. it's up. And so uh, it takes a while to get all that back sometimes. Yeah, I mean, look at Marquez right now. <laughs> yeah, he's best in uh, the world, best doctors, and yeah, he's still in that same boat. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, when he came back from Qatar, I just talked about this the other day, but uh, a couple of years ago, and three weeks later, after breaking his leg, he won the first race. Um, mm -hmm. He was trying to repeat that, but this was, you know, three days out of surgery or something. Uh, still yeah. able to qualify less than a second off of the fastest guys. Uh, three days out of surgery, breaking your arm ain't bad, but it's probably oh, yeah. soon. Especially the waking up from like the nerve block going away, like that—that that is the worst pain. Like the actual breaking it, and then like for me, I had to. My girlfriend uh, was up there with me. Luckily, she helped me pack everything up. But then we were up in New Jersey. We had to leave the hospital, go back, pack everything up, load the bike on the trailer. It's all smashed up with a flat rear tire, all with a broken arm. And they come back to a week later, get the surgery for it. And that like going through all of that, like, I'm like, this is pretty bad, but it's not too bad. Waking up from the surgery with the, after put the plate and the screws in there, it was just kind of like, dude, shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> but that, um, that doesn't deter you at all. You just can't wait, wait to get back into it. Right. Oh yeah. That was the worst part is just sitting here like for, I was, you know, COVID kicked everything back late, and it was my first race weekend of the of the year. I had a clutch hub nut strip out, 
So that ended that one. And then Sharon, the next one, actually had a, going forward, I was doing way better than I did last year at the same track. And uh, then get pitched out. So I was like kind of amped to go and race. And you know, I got new bikes set up and everything. And then you're like sitting there watching everyone else at the track. You're like watching everyone's post. And you're just kind of sitting at the house like, well, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. When I was when I was injured, one of the times it was, uh, I kept telling the doctors, I don't remember it at the time, but people tell me this. Uh, I said, just give me new bones. I'll go back out there. <laughs> you know? awesome. like, yeah, just put a plate in there. We'll be fine. Like, you know that you have to wait for that to heal a little bit. And I'm like, that's, that's your opinion there. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I have another idea. Can I get a second opinion? Exactly. Yeah, then we can, actually, the funniest thing was there was one race in coming, weekend coming up. I was finally able to do push-ups. I was going back to jiu-jitsu, taking it easy there. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to head up there, pick up some. I'm doing uh, an endurance series next year. So I get some gas tanks off a friend of mine to use for that. And I'm walking around I'm like, man, I can't find my leathers, like, anywhere. My girlfriend's like, you can get them back on Monday. <laughs> and um, so tell me a little bit about this endurance you're going to be doing. Is that an endurance series? Uh, yeah, I'm going to try to do as much of the uh, Team Challenge series next year with CCS. I'm going to run it solo. But I guess uh, the joke is I'm going to make up for all the track time I lost this year. Just do it all next year. <laughs> do you, uh, can, can you actually do that? You don't have to have multiple riders? Are you doing like two, four, six, 12 hours? I'm not sure what the distances are. Uh, this one that usually comes out to be between two and three hours. Um, you don't have to have uh, um, any teammates for it. You, basically, the only people you need there, you need uh, one person to aim a uh, fire extinguisher at you when you come into pit and refuel, and that's pretty much it. Um, okay. So you could yeah. actually change the tires yourself and put the fuel in. You just need a, a fire extinguisher person. Yep. Yeah, that's all you really need to have air extra. And I mean, like... Uh, Lloyd Bailey, who uh, passed away a few weeks ago, and that's why he won those things regularly. He won championships with them, doing it all solo. And he would just get there and just ask someone else to come help him first pit, like wouldn't even show up with the crew. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty sweet uh, situation there. And uh, so, what kind of what's your lap time, uh, or uh, sorry, what's your pit time for a one man pit stop? Uh, so that's what we're going to, uh, to find out. I'm going to kind of play with that a little bit. Actually the first, I think the first weekend I'll be out next year, will be at one of the endurance races. Um, but nice thing is cause only two or three hours and, uh, I use Bridgestone tires. They got unreal life on them. I can run a soft and do the whole race not having to worry about the tires unless something weird happens. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the fueling, I went and got, uh, one of those, uh, little quick fill, uh, setups, uh, I, mean, I think it's like you dump the whole four four gallon thing in there in like seven seconds or something. Doesn't matter. Coming to a stop, popping it on, and then go. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what kind of bike are you running for, to do all this stuff? Do you have multiple bikes running multiple classes, or all just one bike, or any uh, any backup bike? I have a uh, one poor triumph that uh, gets used for everything. So all of my coaching, all my racing, it's, it's all done on that. The only real difference with it is like when I'm at the, we're doing coaching, I'll use regular pump gas and I have a map for that. And then when I'm on race weekends, you know, throw in the VP and flip the map over to that one. Yeah. So how, how much more uh, horsepower or uh, actual output does that give you versus the, the stock fuel? Uh, quite a bit it's kind of one of the reasons why i pitched myself to the moon was i wasn't quite used to the extra but that and i have a, a different motor than what i had last year okay so kind of getting used to the little bit of extra bang that i had i was so programmed from doing you know thousands of laps because of between coaching and uh and racing like i knew where to crack the throttle on well there was more than a few times throughout the weekend i was getting used to extra power we kind of stepped over a little bit had the uh got one of those pizzazz uh, traction control systems on there so it catches it pretty regularly but if you if you ask too much it can only it can only do so much <laughs> for sure yeah you got to control the rest with your hand and with your you know your lean angle and body position and all that to, to mm -hmm. get most of it and so uh, tell me a little bit about your coaching how, how do you become a, a racetrack riding coach and what's involved with that that I actually just uh, shot uh, Roger Lyle, who runs it, an email one time. It's like, hey, I'd like to do it. I really like the atmosphere at these track days, and I enjoy helping people out and like teaching. So, 
let's go ahead and uh, see if I could do it. And he just uh, shot me back a message. Yeah, coach's meeting is in like three weeks. If you want to come up for it, more than uh, you know, we're more than happy to have you up here. And because that's mainly the the number one track the organization that I rode with. I rode with a few others, and I've had a lot of bad bad experiences with some of them but this one always seemed pretty chill so and everyone there is always pretty laid back so if you want to go there and learn to race there's guys that'll help you with that if you just want to go there to get off the road where it's safer and just cruise at your own speed have at it you can do that <laughs> and so what is some of your advice you would give uh, a street rider maybe looking to get to the track or somebody who doesn't ride at all trying to get to the track what, what would you tell them uh, to do or to look into for the street rider, normally it's just go do it. And then the only thing you, I tell them is day one, your goal is to get to the end of day one. Don't don't sit there and worry about your lap times or how no. you look or what you're doing. It's like, no, dude, just, just get used to how the pattern goes. Get used to how tiring it is and just get to where you're comfortable. Once you're comfortable there, then start working on, you know, the finer details. I mean, you can play with race line your first day, but for the most part, just get used to the bells. <laughs> just don't get, uh, don't get overwhelmed. Just realize that you're, it's still a, a regular surface you're riding on and uh you're just gonna learn progressively you don't need to go like you said you don't need to worry about lap times for like the first year pretty much yeah. you know? uh, just work on your body position for me it was always working on you know still to this day line line mm -hmm. tricks, you know uh where your breaking points are trying to hit the best apex for that turn maximizing mm -hmm. your exit speeds but even that's kind of advanced for your first first couple of days yeah, because I said this one for the most part, I just tell them just survive to the end, man. You're gonna you'll learn a lot more when you're not like all nervous and wondering if you're doing the right thing. Because um, so, you know, most of the time, all of your biggest, uh, if I guess, gains normally come from when you're laid back and you're you're feeling good, and then you have that fast guy come by and you're kind of like, well, let's see what he's doing. <laughs> so that's kind of that. The, the one thing I normally try to you know distract them a little bit is just tell them to start working on getting on the throttle earlier. Because it's it's the easiest one to control between braking and gas, and you get a lot of gain from being able to get on, you know, hard really early. So, and then it kind of gives them something to work on to where they're not trying to go. Everyone wants to go sliding into turn one with their leg out like Marquez. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, everyone wants that awesome picture, but I'm like, yeah, first you got to work on what's going to happen when you come out. Otherwise, you're going to go barreling in and then creep around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was never a guy to stick my leg out. I guess that's a learned habit or learn trait but i always like to kind of position my foot pointed with my inside knee to the inside of the corner type of thing kind of move my knee back and forth but not take it off the peg so much um yeah but me moving my feet around on the foot pegs was really it was very difficult for when i switched over to mountain bike racing to to not have move my feet all the time because yeah you, when you're now stuck to the to the bicycle it's uh it's a very different feeling, especially when I'm used to maybe taking it off here and there if you need to, to put your foot yeah. or something. Now you're stuck to the bike. It's like, oh, this is different. I ran that with road cycling, too, because I used to do a lot of uh, BMX riding. And, you know, you, you can shift your feet around a little bit depending on what you're getting ready to do. But yeah. then when your feet are just clamped down in place, I mean, everyone has that where they go to just calmly slide their foot over to put it down when you're clipped in. And then you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it happens so many times. It just it has to be instinctual after a while. Yeah, I did a cyclocross race one time, and that was right after I started doing uh, road cycling. And I'd probably been using like clipless pedals maybe for you know a couple months. I think I fell over before the, like the stair set every single lap because I would try to just yank my foot off real fast and jump off it. Everyone else is doing that, and then one guy on the side when I was getting up, he was tilt your heel first. Yeah. I'm like, what? You kick your heel first, and it won't have to keep helping you off the ground. I'm like, yeah. Oh. That's the trick. <laughs> oh, yeah. It definitely helps when you know how, right? Exactly. Yeah, next time I go around and pop up, I was like, ah, thanks. <laughs> it works, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, there, and you can adjust those different uh, different degrees and different pressures, I think, for certain models. Yeah. Yeah, the one that um, I have is the speed play ones. And nice thing about those, you can adjust how much float you have because I really don't like having much at all of it. Because, you know, it's weird because plastic on plastic, it kind of shifts. Well, nice thing with the speed play is you can actually have kind of like a little bumper to keep you from wanting to shift around so much. Yeah. yeah. 
And if it's too tight after doing like a 60 miler or something, I've had times where it's like, man, I can't twist my leg that hard to get my, my foot out anymore. I'm so tired. You know? Oh yeah. The, uh, the first set of speed plays I had, they had um, different strengths that you can get depending on, you know, like how hard you can sprint and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, let's go with the heaviest duty one right off the bat, man. I, like I'm normally one of the fastest sprinters everyone I roll with. So let's go ahead and go top of the line. Yeah. It seemed like I had to lean against something and like pry my leg out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to get used to it. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And you said you, uh, you mentioned you're doing some Brazilian jujitsu. Is that right? Yep. Yep. That's uh, I started doing that uh, last fall, last November uh, for training. Cause it's, uh, I, forgot, I think I uh, listened to a podcast or something. It was saying like the hardest thing for people who do like motorcycle racing or car racing things or things that are real active and coming at you really fast is the uh, like dopamine atrophy you get over the uh, over the winter because you just don't have that at you. One thing with jujitsu is you're pretty much throwing the fire every roll because because you're not hitting. You can always go full gas. Um, so that just kind of keeps you a little bit calmer. So I did notice this year when I was at the track that when things would get a little bit hairy, I'd, like my heart rate wasn't jumping. It's just kind of like, okay, I know what to do here. Let's do this. <laughs> right. You're less, uh, agitated. You're more calm under pressure, you'd say. Exactly. Yeah. Cause the one thing that it teaches you also is to be very comfortable when you're not winning and you're basically someone on top of you crushing you into the mat there, you know, twisting your limbs around or got hold of your throat. It teaches you to sit there and just breathe and be like, well, they're killing me right now. And honestly, it ain't that bad. <laughs> A little hard to yeah. breathe, but I mean, I'm not going to die right here. <laughs> yeah. You can get through it. You can, uh, you can come out the other side if you just compose yourself for a little while. Yep, and then just start looking for the angles for it. You know, look for your way out. Look where you can slip this or roll them this way. Yeah. So when, especially for like, funny enough, like turn one situations, which is like the part that scared me the most going into to starting racing was going into turn one. <laughs> and I was because you always see all the videos where I'm piling up on top of each other and and the first race I went to go actually watch for CCS, there was a massive first turn pile up, and I'm like, yeah. oh man. And then I raced 600 class, you know, uh, which is uh, middleweight and heavyweight for uh, for CCS, and then you, you turn around and you're on the grid and you're looking. And you're like, man, there's like 40 people out here right now. <laughs> it's about to be a really big pile up. And nobody <laughs> knows what they're doing. And novice, and it's the first race of the season, and all that stuff, you know. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it can be hairy. I have actually never been in a turn one incident that ended up in a crash. Um, yeah. Uh, I've come together with somebody else and uh, had their I guess, I suppose it was both our faults, right? It's, it's a racing incident a lot of the times. Um, yeah. What happened between us, we were going uh, turn one at Gretton Raceway counterclockwise, and I'm expecting this guy to turn in sooner. You know, he's probably trying to hold me out wider, so I just uh, slot in behind him, but I'm not doing that, you know, yeah. basically right next to him. And so uh, I turn, turn into him, leaning on his bodywork, and his foot peg goes into my bodywork. You know, uh. <laughs> all down down the side. Um, that's how close we're rubbing. You know, um, yeah. I mean, we were both fine, and I actually got the position, which was nice. And he was he stayed on the track. He, I think he lost one place or something. But um, yeah, it can be really hairy, especially when you're one two and the whole pack is behind you, and that yeah. happens. You know, that can be. That's that's what I'm most worried about. Is like getting run over or something like that if you were to oh. go down at the front that's really the biggest worry or hitting like uh at the same track i unfortunately hit hit a pit wall at 130 mm-hmm. miles an hour you know that's really the one of the biggest worries out there but that happens very infrequently yeah I said, I getting run over, man. Earlier this year, I was the scariest moment I've ever had racing. I had my chain snap and then wedge into the uh, the side of the sprocket and the swing arm, and I was starting second row in my first race as expert. So get the launch, and then it started like I don't know hopping. I guess like the links started like one of the links started to tear apart, and it kind of had like a hop, hop, and then went snap, and it locked up. And it's just completely C sliding forward and it's just <laughs> everyone blowing by me. And I'm like, I am about to die. Yeah. And then also just quiet. And you're like, I made it. And actually <laughs> managed to get off to the side of the track and just gently sent the bike down. And I kind of walked up on the hillside and the corner worker just yelled, you okay? I'm like, I'm just going to lay here and die. I'm fine, man. <laughs> <laughs> just shit yourself a little bit, but yeah, you're fine. 
Exactly. Just clean the leathers out. Just gonna finish this heart attack, but I'm good. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, there was one time I stalled my bike on the grid, um, and in in Wera, when I was racing, I was in the in the front and expert, and then mm-hmm. there was a uh, happened to be a uh, another wave in novice behind us. So I stalled. Mm-hmm. One wave goes by. The second wave goes by, and then I go. You know, it's like. <laughs> Oh, couldn't they have stopped the second wave and let me go between that? You think that would have been a lot better, but um, yeah, <laughs> time to stop it. If it's like right before the flag drops, they they can't do anything about that. Yep, I think they they held the second wave a little bit because what I mean, we were right at the very start. I mean, it was maybe halfway down the straightaway. So, and normally they turn around and once all the experts go through for CCS, they turn the board sideways and get ready to throw the flag. So luckily they could see me and I'm pretty sure because it was a long hold from when <laughs> our launch was to when they got by, I was able to get off the track up the hillside. So I'm pretty sure they were watching. Um, but yeah, that was probably the most terrifying track moment I've ever had. That and I had a, um, a bolt go through my radiator one time. And I found out going into turn one at some point, I go to squeeze it and it had completely soaked my front tire. Oh, man. And I, was, I was trying to pass two guys on the inside too and I'm just shooting straight past them out into the gravel. Like, so yeah. You just lost the fear immediately? Uh, well, yeah, it started to lock. And then I let go and I went to go hit it again and then it locked again. Like every time I touched the front or tried to turn, it would just skip and slide. So I ended up just shooting off through the gravel and standing on the rear brake and getting the thing stopped over it. Literally, like by the time I got stopped, I was next to a tree and I just leaned it over on the tree and I'm like, lived. (laughs) (laughs) Made it. (laughs) Yeah, man. There's some hairy incidents and that's why I would just love to see a little bit more runoff in certain places. Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's for sure. <laughs> because I want to build a racetrack uh, years from now. I don't have the funding for it, but I w- how awesome would that be to design and build uh, and ride and race on your own racetrack and just have it be so that you can't hit anything? Wouldn't that be the ideal situation? That would be amazing. Kind of reminds me of like a NC bike down here. Like there's nothing there but a track and a giant field and there's absolutely nothing. So our going joke is like, you can't say you were distracted when everything goes around. <laughs> nothing nothing happened. <laughs> I want to just make a, a massive, uh, like two mile by two mile piece of cement. Uh, yeah. They have elevation and all that, but there's just, if there's runoff, you can go as far as you need and then come back on, you know? Um, yeah. So you're going to have, have to monitor the track limits more from like race control um but that's a small price to pay right for the rider safety uh it's kind of like uh it was a circuit of the americas where it looks like it's you can blow open, the turn yeah. and just cruise compose yourself turn around take a break you're fine <laughs> i mean just think about it it'll change uh, those bikes are a million dollars or more um mm-hmm. riding um just the cost of one or two bikes going down would pay for the entire amount of pavement yeah <laughs> you know yeah, completely <laughs> or like imagine Imagine if there was that much kind of pavement and runoff at all these places. One weekend of everybody going down, the the cumulative cost of that is is so much. And if everybody could just stay up a little bit easier and have tons of runoff, why not? Yeah. Yeah, it would definitely be a lot. Because a lot of times the things that freak people out too is just the thought of those walls on the outside or uh, like um, turn four is something that's really bad. It's a really fast right-hander. It's blind. It's off camber. And the wall on the outside, like, they made it a little better. They moved it back a few feet. But it's still right there. And if something goes wrong, you're going right into that wall. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, tell me, let's jump back to the jujitsu a little bit. Uh, you've been that for a little while now. Um, and th- that goes by the belt system. Is that right? Yeah, it has uh, basically for each belt color, you get four stripes in between to kind of break it down. And then each belt has kind of like a different kind of significance to it. So like your white belts are kind of your your beginners. Um, and then you go up to your blue belts. That's what I just, uh, just got promoted to um, actually, I think this week, last oh, week. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And uh, so that's your long, that's one of your longest ones. You pretty much are there for like five years. So the funny thing is that we always joke the white belts, you're kind of your beginner one, you get all your stripes pretty quick. It kind of keeps everyone motivated. Then they just hit you over the head of blue. And it's like, and here's your life now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then it moves up to, uh, uh, once you get up to like purple, purple, brown, then black, like you're, 
your top of the food chain up there. Yeah. So it's just getting through those, those first two, but nice thing about it is it doesn't matter like what level you're at. Um, I mean, I read, we have a black belt that runs my, my school. We have another one that comes by. Um, and we just had like this, uh, he's a four stripe black belt combined do a, a seminar yesterday. Okay. And you guys have been doing like that guy's had 20 years as being a black belt like top of the thing and he's still kind of like yeah i'm regular sitting here going why would i do that or how about we do this it's like there's no point where you actually feel like it's a you're doing it all the way it's just like the opponents get harder and you know your, your questions get bigger right. <laughs> it's always Which a learning work. experience i'm sure just like with racing it you never there's always somebody better than you and uh, there's always more to learn yeah, exactly. That's so what I tell people like when I'm coaching the track all the time. They're like, I got this figured out. I'm like, um, Valentino Rossi has a rider coach. Like, yeah, right, what, what, exactly. who are you, buddy? <laughs> yep, one of the best guys in the world. He still gets coaching. And, you know, I heard uh, the story. It's uh, Warren Buffett still scrutinizes his grocery bills. And he's, he's a billionaire. Like, mm -hmm. he got that way because of the things that he does. Yep. Yep. And it's the one that I don't always swear. It's like whenever you start stepping back, thinking like, okay, I got this. I'm good at this. It's right when you start going backwards. So it's a nice doing things that always remind you that you suck at it because it doesn't matter like how good your race weekend was. It's always like there's a lot of people that I didn't pass. And then the same with jujitsu. No matter how good you were that night, you're like, well, I still tapped like five times. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, you might have moved up to expert ranks and you go to, the next level would be the pro ranks and mm -hmm. uh, you go to a track day and they happen to be there. You know, they'll go by you sometimes at 15, 20 miles an hour faster in a, in a corner. You're like, how is that even possible? I didn't think that was physically possible. You know, uh, it changes your perception of what you should be doing out there. It's like, wow, I guess I'm not, I'm not the shit. Like I thought I was. Yep. Yeah. I remember, uh, at VIR last year, it was uh, my first time racing there. I think it was like my second or third time there on the track. So like, I'm still learning everything. It was me and three guys kind of battling in one of the races and Stefano Mesa blows past me. Like, like all three of us, like we're sitting still and like, we're yeah. struggling to pass each other. He just blows right by then turns around and looks at us <laughs> forward and then just goes completely sideways into six up the hill. And you're just like, he, what the, I'm trying. <laughs> this is as good as I got, man. He's he's laughed at me. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, just another level, and um, it, it shows you the difference between like a full-time season pro and uh, the rest of us. Because you're you're not a factory guy, I would assume. You're still privateer, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, pretty much just about everything comes out of uh, <laughs> comes out of my pocket. <laughs> Are there any, anybody that's been helping you out, any companies or people? Yeah, um, uh, Motorcycle Excitement. I mean, they've been one of my sponsors for a long time since I, since I started racing. Um, actually, funny enough, my, I guess it'd be title sponsor. Um, the only one of my sponsors actually, like, throwing money in on it is my jiu-jitsu school, High Road uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, oh, he, uh, cool. yeah, the guy that runs it, he's a big uh, motorcycle guy. And especially when I started saying, like, my goal is to do uh, the Daytona 200, um, not next year, but the year after, so 2022, start doing that every year after that. And he just grew up loving that race. And he's like, yes, you have to do it. I'm going down there. I'm like, cool. Can you change the tire? Yeah. <laughs> How many engines do you plan on using? Uh, I have a backup. It's stock. And I have the one that's in my motor, which is, it's got some stuff done to it, but it's dialed back just a little bit because of all the mileage I put on it. Yeah. Um, but I am kind of thinking about getting maybe like a, a 300 or maybe a supermoto for when I'm doing coaching and then basically just, just pull the big one out every now and then on track days to get, get some miles on it and then just use it for racing. Yeah. I mean, I would assume if you're doing coaching, you really don't need much more than a 400, right? I've done it with a Grom before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shenandoah circuit, you go out there and Grom for uh, the novices. And it's pretty fun because especially when you got, you know, the smack talking street guy with like the BMW S1000R and he went and put like five grand worth of stuff in already and <laughs> talking all this trash. And you, you're kind of like, cool, man. Now try to keep up with me. I'm on the Grom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're, there. we're not at a go-kart track. This is a major racetrack, you know? Yep. <laughs> the look they give you when you're sitting there on that thing is like, What's this guy doing? I'm like, you'll see, you'll see. <laughs> I really don't think people realize the difference between street riding and track riding and, and the speed differences and, mm -hmm. and uh, 
attention and focus that's involved. Um, it's just that people don't grasp, I, I think, the, the intensity of how, what, what you do in a breaking zone, every single hard breaking zone is the hardest breaking you could possibly do without locking up your tire, you know? Yep. That and always that never being in that neutral zone, always hard on the throttle, always hard on the brake, never in between. Like trying to teach that because, I mean, that's where you sit on the street is just in that neutral zone all the time. So when people come to the track, it's, that was kind of the old theory I always had, like why people want to roll off so early before the braking, even though they'll go in, you know, like a demon squeezing the brake as hard as they possibly can at the last second, they'll still roll off beforehand. I think it's just getting to that comfort spot where it's kind of like, okay, this is where I know how my bike usually feels. Now let's do the next thing. And it's like, nah, man, light switch, one or the other. <laughs> and uh, are you ever combining brakes and throttle at the same time, or is it always just one or the other? uh sometimes i'll feed in the rear a little bit i'm kind of terrible at it i've broken that ankle a few times so i'm actually yeah. looking into getting like a thumb brake oh yeah I rode, yeah i rode a supermoto bike that had that and it was complete game changer well, i sell um, them actually i sell the i think they're akasado thumb brakes we have right now um they're uh, pretty good yeah, I was actually looking at those on your site. <laughs> yeah. I just put in like thumb brake or motorcycle thumb brake. It's one of the ones that popped up. I'm like, hmm. But yeah, I've been kind of eyeing it up thinking about uh, doing that. And also the nice thing would be if I had the thumb brake and I kind of got rid of the pedal down there and have a little bit more space because I'm uh, 6'2", over 200 pounds and trying to wedge down onto that tiny little Triumph has been uh, been a bit of work. <laughs> and you're happy being being like a bigger guy staying on the 600s or would you eventually want to move up to 1,000? I will go back up to 1,000. That's what I started my track riding with. And like not like lap time wise, but in comparison to everyone else, I'm a lot faster on 1,000 than I am on the 600. But there's so many skills you learn on the 600 that I just bypass because when you have you know all the power of God in your right hand, you can pretty much blow stuff all the time and it doesn't really matter. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah you so, know, I, I think it's possible to spend an entire career on a 600 and not really need to go up to a 1000. I mean, I've I've rode a 1000, I think here and there on the street, but um, not on the track. I've always I've always been in the 600 class and the, with the 600 Kawasaki, a 636. And then uh, a Triumph 675, the, the triple cylinder. And mm -hmm. so um, going from the even the four cylinder to the three cylinder, there's a big difference in the handling and the power delivery. And yep. man, you could really throw it into the corner so much easier on the Triumph than the, than the Kawasaki. But the Kawasaki was just way better in the high end, uh, mid range to high end power, the power band. So they're just different characteristics. That's the funny thing with the Triumph. It's like right off idle. So for like your launch, it's really good. And then it's got this giant dead zone. And then right at the top of the RPM range, it just flicks in like a rocket. Yeah. So it's, I actually have the uh, the shift lights uh, programmed. So that way they're right where the, like kind of like where the power band is at the upper part. Like I moved around where they come on just so yeah. that as long as I can see the blue out of the corner of my eye, like I'm good to go. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's what, that and just getting used to it. Cause like I went from an 04 R1 and then um, moved over and I blew that up on what was supposed to be my first race weekend. The uh, engine or transmission or? Uh, the engine catastrophically. Like it yeah. was bad. I did my, my, at the time, my fastest ever lap around Summit. And then I'm like, man, I got no power. Where's all the smoke coming from? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pulled in. It was pretty much all four cylinders gone. It just wasted itself. So then I'm like trying to find another bike. I'm like, I don't know what I want to get. Kind of want to get a newer 1000. And I was on the Wera um, uh, message board and just saw like this uh, all brown Triumph Daytona for sale. That's like, it had an he had so many spares i filled my car up when i went to go get it yeah. and then i'm still like you might have to mail me a few things dude because <laughs> he'd been racing for years out in uh california and he was even sending me like all these videos of him racing on it like winning championships or winning races and stuff so i was like okay it's got all the pedigree then get it kind of mess around make it fit me and then uh learned that i was in a whole nother ball game after that <laughs> Yeah, man, those those triumphs come uh, ready to race. Um, I noticed immediately uh, the the Kawasaki's that I had were uh, were not brand new, so they were a little bit older. They didn't have the slipper clutch. They didn't have the uh, the braking system. 
wasn't up to par. I mean, it was just stock. And then uh, the Triumph, you get what, full Brembo's. Um, so it, it was definitely an upgrade uh, in, the, in the downshift and the braking areas. And that's huge for stability because then you can carry more corner speed into the corner a little bit. It's more stable. And then you can exit hopefully faster too. Yeah, my my old Triumph, so that one that I got, it didn't have the slipper clutch in it, and it was it was the the regular, not the R. So that was like the thing that was holding me back because my R one I had before that, someone had put a slipper clutch in it. Oh, yeah. So then when then um, we take that away, I struggled for like two years with that thing. And then when I bought the uh, the motor that I have now, I bought a friend of mine who's won I think like four CCS championships with it. It's got everything, every bell and whistle you possibly get thrown in on that thing. First time going into into uh, turn one, going into uh, brake heavy on it, and I go to drop the just drop the gears, look over the clutch, and you're just freewheeling in. You're like, well, this could take some getting used to. <laughs> yeah. And now I love it. Now I'm like, I don't know how I ever wrote without it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. Instead of bouncing off the ground so much. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you're always like trying to like I would always be playing with the throttle and the the clutch at the same time, trying to get to kind of even out as I was going in. Now you don't have to worry about that. You just focus on braking. Uh, yeah. push the braking zones back so much farther <laughs> yeah that and uh i mean you don't need it when you're first starting out but if you're racing you definitely should have a quick shifter um because mm -hmm. i i never used the quick shifter when i raced and there were races i lost by like 0 0.048 seconds and, and you know many of them like that that i would have probably won if i had a, a freaking quick shifter on my bike yeah, that's one of those things, those marginal gains. You sit there and add up all the shifts that you would you would have done faster, and it's like, damn, I could have finished like half lap earlier. Yeah, <laughs> it makes a big difference over a course of a race, or if you're doing an endurance race, like, mm -hmm. oh, it could be a minute or two. I, I'm just guessing, but over the course oh, easily. of a three-hour race, how many shifts would you be making? That's probably thousands of shifts. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, I know it's like Summit Point has a few heavy braking zones where you're going, you know, through multiple gears at a time. It's like once you start adding up each one of those shifts going through and you think each time it's going to take you like point, let's make it up point six of a second to roll off, click it and then roll back on. And then you start adding that point six up all the, you know, as it goes. Yeah, it's definitely going to, you're going to get a lot of time back just by spending a, a few extra bucks. <laughs> For sure. And so uh, is there any upgrade other than like a thumb brake we talked about? What else are you looking at? Uh, or is your bike pretty much set to go? Are you happy with it? It's pretty good to go. I, I did a lot last winter getting it ready. And then, well, nice thing with this winter, I don't have to rebuild it because it not have very many miles. Yeah. Um, but uh, largely it's it's ready to go. There's a few small things I want to I wanna get for it. Um, and of course, it's always like, I want to get some new uh like brimbo uh front calipers for it but I, I really have no complaints with what i have on there now so i don't really like just want to be nice to have but yeah. for the most part yeah so i don't really have any complaints with that i've been spending all my uh time this year uh setting up i went and got a moto van finally and okay. yeah getting that set up so that way i can have everything packed and stay ready to go and if i'm doing all these long drives to do more than just my usual because the farthest I drive is like four hours to VIR and all my tracks are pretty close, but the, uh, the team challenge actually goes all up and down the East coast and farther West. So if I'm be hitting all those, might as well have like, you know, little shop slash apartment on wheels. <laughs> That's um, you can keep everything in there when you go home or do you empty all that back into the garage? Uh, the way I have it set up, most of it's just going to stay in there unless I need to do something else. Like I even have so my big toolbox can pop right in there. Um, I can leave the bike loaded up. And so that if I have like a last minute decision to go race one weekend or the best part is like if I'm doing a driving down to like Florida or something like that after work, get tired. It's like, screw it, pull over, you know, fire up the generator, turn TV on. <laughs> and you got a nice sleeping quarters in there. Yep, uh, I have a uh, set up for like an air mattress for when the bike's out and the girlfriend's there. And I haven't decided yet how I'm going to set it up when it's just me and everything's loaded. So it might go like a hammock or something like that. <laughs> I've seen uh, some people have like tables that kind of fold down from the wall that latch up uh, when you're moving. Yeah. And then you could have like a post or something to help uh, help the weight get distributed. 
Yeah, I was looking, uh, I was thinking about that, but the one that the van that I had had all the big uh, shelving units in the back already. Oh, so yeah. I just picked one of those out to have a little bit of extra space in the back. And I was like, well, screw it. I just loaded these up. <laughs> yeah, there's so many different ways to do it. Um, but it's cool you got that. And uh, why why the, the van instead of like a trailer or a truck or a motorhome or like a, a toy hauler? I mean, there's so many different options. Um, one, it easier to drive around and easier to like park it. Um, and I was talking to, uh, uh, Scooter Ryan Jones, like we were, um, I think it was like in the comment section or something like that after I posted, he's like, that's the way to go, man. He's, he's a pain in the butt showing up with a big truck, with a big trailer, trying to weasel it all the way through all the little pit areas. I was like, man, just drive right in like it's a car. Um, yeah. and I've always been big in that kind of small footprint kind of thing like what i had before was a volkswagen golf and a, a single track trailer and i've been using that for years and my only complaint with that is whenever you have like a rain weekend especially for like track days or you don't know if it's gonna be clear or not so you go down there anyways and you're stuck having to unload everything just so you can sleep and then turn around next day if it doesn't work out packing everything up in the pouring rain so after i did that uh uh, one time last year i was like that eh, i need something that's, that can just stay loaded and then i can just show up and go i'm not sure how this weather let's just stay in here <laughs> yeah for sure i have an open trailer i built myself from harbor freight and it is i mean it'll get the job done if, if you're trying to get to the track and not spend a whole lot of money it'll work for sure and that's mm -hmm. all ever used but it's not ideal for the rain because then every time especially if you're going for race events you're trying to have a nice looking bike and that you know have mm -hmm. a clean bike and it's going to be dirty every single time you, you get to the track, even though you cleaned it right before you left. Yep. <laughs> or the worst is when you, uh, uh, this is, this is going to be my first year having little plugs in the bottom of the fairing, but you sit there and you drive there in the pouring rain. And then when you get there, it's not raining anymore. And you go to unload it. And as soon as you go to back the bike onto the uh, ramp, all that water goes rushing onto you. Yep. I've had that happen so many times. That's <laughs> <laughs> just one of those moments you just look down and you're like, why do I do this? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of work, man, but it's, uh, it's rewarding. Yeah. I, I just, I said, I love it. It's like my favorite thing to go do. <laughs> And so uh, you've been racing now for a little while. Tell me about your racing results and some of your racing career. Uh, they've been uh, mediocre is the best way I'd put it. Uh, the last year was probably like my best year, um, but I was on a really, really shoestring budget doing it. So actually I did most of the, um, the year on uh, Dunlop Medium Plus rear tire. Um, so yeah, not a whole lot of grip in that thing, but still got, uh, uh, quite a few top tens. I think like my best finish in championships have been like a six and a seventh okay. at the end of the year. But I said doing a shoestring budget pump gas, yeah. um, yeah, on medium plus tires, just anything to make sure I could go out and keep doing it. Um, where this year I turned up at, uh, New Jersey, the track I've only been to one time before to race. And just by having this nice sticky Bridgestones and then having, uh, the race fuel and on there, it was like three and a half seconds faster than I was last year on my first oh, flying wow. lap. Yeah. yeah. And you just come back in and you're like, man, imagine what would have happened if I could have done this the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And be that consistent with that fast of a time. Yep. That would, that would be, uh, that would have been real nice, but and I have a better system of going about doing it now, like accumulating uh, tires over the winter when you get some deals. And same with like when, when you have spare money uh, like over the winter, just go ahead and get like a can of gas and just throw it out in the shed. Yeah, so just kind of yeah, just go ahead and stock it up. That way, in the summer, all you have to do is worry about the actual entry fees and you know all the millions of things you break. <laughs> right. Just got to be careful about uh, where you're stirring your fuel for loss of octane. Right, if it's too hot or too cold, you can you can lose some of that in uh, in the vapors. Yep, uh, especially if you're using like uh, and that and the um, expiration date on them. So if you're using the oxygenated stuff, it it goes pretty quick. Uh, I use the U4.4 because you get a little more bang than you do out of the regular gas, but it ain't quite as expensive as the MR12. And the nice thing with it is it stores a lot longer. So like, okay. yeah, the stuff that I had for last year that I got right before going to uh, um, New Jersey, I mean, it, it's still good for next year. Whereas if it was MR12, I've been sitting there, uh, you know, on the wear of message board going, you want to buy some fuel? <laughs> Put it in your daily driver, maybe. I won't lie, I put some in this little PW80 dirt bike that I have. 
Yeah, I think called. <laughs> It'd be ripping. Oh yeah, I think it was fun. <laughs> yeah. My brother's like, "What did you do to this thing?" I'm like, "Nothing." He goes, "Did you put race fuel in there?" I'm like, "Shut your mouth." <laughs> so you've been doing some uh, mini bike riding as well. Oh yeah, I got a little PW80 to play around with, and uh, have a little KLX 125 I'm rebuilding right now, and uh, maybe go do some like indoor flat track up at Timonium, or trying to find somewhere closer where we can do like some uh, some mini road riding. But I think the closest spot is like Delaware at the moment. Yeah, okay, so well, yeah, they do it like uh, two miles from my house. They have a nice timing and scoring cart uh, uh, track that they go to. Uh, I don't have a, a mini bike at this point. Maybe in a, a year or two, we'll see. But um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. I've switched all my racing over to mountain bikes and sim racing for now because it's just so expensive. I'm trying to build my business. You know, Eric Swan racing mm -hmm. anytime. Um, hopefully, at one point, I'll be able to go back into motorsports. But just trying to save some money right now and. I mean, that sim racer is, is so difficult. It's uh, it's like the real thing, like you're driving a car. So I get a lot of uh, enjoyment out of that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I joke that I think sim racing is better than actually going and racing cars. I used to do some car stuff, and it's so insanely expensive to do anything with that. And, like, I did um, autocrosses and some rallies with a Dodge Omni that we built out of a junkyard is, like, a joke. Yeah. And we're like, well, we'll just build it up. And the next thing you know, of course, you start getting, like, you know, good Garrett turbos, and then you start throwing <laughs> the sticky tires on there and then going to get the big brakes. And all of a sudden, you're like, my budget plan is now no longer budget. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the funny thing is like some of the sim uh simulators like it feels like you're actually like it has a resistance and everything like you're driving the car like and i always joke that you know racing cars felt like you're playing a video game so <laughs> the only difference is the crashing hurt a lot more <laughs> yeah it's nice you know i was doing the i'm trying to do a time trial for the nurburgring to beat lewis's ha lewis hamilton's time and I smashed into the barriers at like 145 yesterday. I was like, oh, that would have been a bad one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the nice thing with those sims. You're like, man, that was a terrible crash. Well, let's go to the bathroom and get a drink. <laughs> <laughs> right. But man, with this simulator, it has that force feedback. So it definitely, it'll like rip the, the wheel out of your hands. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's serious. It's not a toy. I, you know, I, I couldn't buy the cheapest one and be satisfied with that. I got one that's uh, that's right up there with that. The Formula One guys use so it's oh uh, nice it's great. I just I don't have the three screens on the on you know two on each side. I, I hear that's like the next best thing to uh, to help you get a, a good peripheral view of what's going on around you. Yeah, that, that probably the three screens probably nice too, and you're actually in the um, like doing races too. You start seeing them kind of creep up on you. <laughs> so yeah, it's just good fun and. Uh, You've been uh, following any other race series this year? Uh, like big, I'm um, big into following uh, Moto America and Moto GP, and uh, I've kind of backed off World Superbike lately. It's uh, I, except for uh, I think Supersport. Just watching, uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name right now that moved over from Moto Two and just destroyed everyone. <laughs> it used to be Keenan Safaglu. Yeah, he used to be Keenan Safaglu, but he was, it was like, it was a battle for the guys to beat him. Yeah. Um, I'm totally blanking on uh, the guy's name that moved over from Moto2, but like he ran away. Yeah. <laughs> like, it wasn't even a competition. I think there was like one race weekend where he didn't win. <laughs> um, well, there's also Alvaro Bautista went over, but that wasn't Moto2. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure the name. Uh... I'm sure if I had like a multiple choice, I could tell you. Yep. Worst part is I have a name in my head. I know it's not it. I'm like, that's not the guy. <laughs> there's so many people. An hour yeah. when we're done, I'll think of it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, racing is kind of cool for me because, you know, I, I did come from watching a lot of sports like soccer and hockey where it's very like team-based. And then mm -hmm. thing like, yeah, I have some riders that I kind of would like to see do better than others maybe, but I don't really care who wins most of the time. Mm -hmm. It's not like if, if a certain rider crashes out, I want to be so pissed off. I don't want to watch the rest of it. Like, that's not how I look at it. I'm like, I just want to see a good race and made the best man win. You know, yeah. it's is very like, uh, I hate the other team. The other team sucks, you know, go home, you know, all this stuff. Yeah, they get the there's usually the Rossi guys like, oh, he crashed out. Click. It's like, yeah. no, nah. because usually it doesn't. 
it doesn't matter. It'd be two guys you don't like. Like I'm not a giant fan of Marquez and I wasn't a giant fan of Lorenzo at all, but there's more than a few last lap battles with them where you're just like jumping out of your seat, like hanging out like what? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think uh, Lorenzo was very sensitive to others passing him aggressively when he would do the same type of passes and people <laughs> like his uh, personality in that aspect, I think. Yeah, just straight up T-bone people and turn around and go, well, you almost touched me. <laughs> yeah. I thought Miss Simicelli, man, this is someone that would just, like, clean people out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he definitely had a different uh, different style, a different energy he brought to the to the table. And people hate some people hated him for it, but other people loved him because it brought a different, like, a pizzazz to the race that wasn't there before. Exactly. My favorite was uh, probably one of my favorite seasons of racing was when he won the 250 CC championship. Um, and the year after it, where, where uh, uh, his later teammate won, those guys were tooth and nail knocking each other off the track. I mean, dirty move, clean move, everything. And then they turn around and see the two of them just like hanging out after the race. Like that was awesome. I'm like, that's how, yeah. that's how racing's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And they then, realize that they're all fighting at the limits of physics and stuff. Sometimes things go wrong and these are the best guys in the world on those machines. Um, and they, they sometimes hit each other and fall down. You're not supposed to, um, mm -hmm. but it, it happens sometimes. Yep. Especially when, uh, when the bikes are close, the racing's close. Some of them, you have no choice. Everything's going to be, you know, squeaking on that limit as you go through there. <laughs> and especially, you know, us racers, we're going to try everything possible to beat that next guy. Even if we know we're probably not going to make the corner, if we break, uh, you know, a meter later or, mm -hmm. you know, inch later, it's, we're going to try because there's a, there's a gap there. That's one thing, uh, I was talking to someone. It's like, it doesn't matter how cool and calm and collected you are, how you're like, I'm just here for fun. I just like, you know, going out and getting a result. If it's the last lap and you're going to the last turn and you're next to someone, you're always like, I can break a little later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is, but I've always been that person to, uh, to try to push for that gap, to try to just see if I can. And if mm -hmm. I guess I'm, there's a different mentality that I see where most people are like, I'm afraid of the bad potential outcome, but I look at it as, wow, look at this potential opportunity that I could get if I tried this, but I don't always think of the, the horrible outcome. I, I try to focus on, look what I could gain, right? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things like once you get off the couch, everything just starts getting dangerous. It's like, or or you're just gonna sit on the couch all the time. Like, you know, what what, what decisions do you want to make? And that's kind of how I look at it when it goes to racing. Because even with you know injuries and and the expense of it and all, it's like nothing beats. I mean, it could have been a race for you know second to last place, but if you got that like passing on the outside through turn ten and then just winning the drag race down to the line it doesn't even matter. You're like, that was, you know, phenomenal. You're jumping up and down, hit the tank. Like life's fantastic. You oh, come yeah. In and like, yeah. Everyone's like, well, it was for second to last. I'm like, you understand what it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, man. I was watching, a, um, looking at some of my old YouTube videos. I was at mid Ohio and this guy passed me and we were, he was in front of me the rest of the race. And then last lap comes and I go around him on the outside around the carousel. You know, that's also so satisfying to be able to pass somebody around the outside of a corner and, and make oh, it yeah. <laughs> just another level of satisfaction. Um, it's one of those things because, like, everyone knows with the inside ones, if if you don't really care, you can always ram up in there and always kind of yeah. push them wide. But if you have, like, that that extra bit of speed and skill and everything's just clicking just right, that you can shoot around someone <laughs> in a way that takes a lot more speed to get by them. It's just satisfying. <laughs> and, uh, well, the thing is a lot of times they're like, Oh, I'm going to go a little bit slower because it's the last corner. It's a right-hander. He can't really get by me. He's not going to try that. Will he, would he, you know, he's going to cover the inside, make sure it's covered. And I'm like, that's fine. You can have the inside. I'm going around yep. this way, you know? Uh, that's what I love. You sit there, you just kind of show them wheel, show them wheel. They go to go, and you're just like, and thank you for <laughs> riding around the outside. It doesn't always work, that's for sure, but uh, it, it can happen. And actually, I was just thinking about this the other day. I was uh, same track. I think it might have been the same weekend, but my best start ever in my life was it was a national race, 
for for Mid Ohio. I started from the third row on like closer to the outside, um, and everybody bunched up on the inside, and I got the whole shot going around the outside of everybody in a national race from the third row. I was like, <laughs> that happened. Like I, it didn't last long. I wasn't in the lead for you know the rest. I think maybe uh, I led the rest three quarters of the lap. And then I got mm -hmm. past and then slowly got passed by more people because I was not going to be in the front of that race at the end of it. But yeah, <laughs> like, this is awesome. I'm at the front now. Go. <laughs> I was always like, if the race could end now, I would be yeah. there. <laughs> now I need a red flag really quick after like lap four. Because <laughs> then that's halfway and they'll call it, you know. I had a, I remember one uh, race start and I have a post on my Instagram. I passed 15 people in the first, first five turns. And the funny thing is after that, I just hit like a lull and everyone just kind of sat in line and the rest of the race was unbelievably boring. Yeah. But the funny thing is I'm still going around doing those laps, trying to catch the guy in front of me going, but that start was pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but now, you know, you finally, after the first couple laps, it feels like it sorts itself out and everybody slots into their position for the most part. Um, I mean, after a few laps, you're not going crazy amount of speeds different unless you're not just not being consistent, right? Exactly. Yeah, just like everyone kind of sorts sorts in, finds their spot, and that's kind of like where the oh, kind of one of my favorite parts is because then you always end up like where you're supposed to be, and then you can see that next group, and then you start trying to kind of chase down that next group. So it's like you can physically see you trying to get better so it's kind of nice the, the downside is is when they're just out of reach and it seems like you're going the same speed as them and then it's just infuriating yeah you can't <laughs> make any gains on them but they're right in front of you yeah but or it's like uh the, these three turns over here i'm faster than them that these three over here they're faster than me and the rest of the track are dead even because you're always kind of like i'm creeping on them i'm creeping on them then they start pulling away and you're like Come on. <laughs> and sometimes that can be bike, but a lot of times at this level, it's more line selection or throttle, you know, when you get on the throttle uh, mm -hmm. and things like that. So, you know, if you can get up to them a little bit closer, you can try to see what they're doing and sometimes learn from them. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I always tell everyone, like, you know, your first race weekend that you're out there, you're about to just, you know, double everything you've done through all those years of track riding. Because it's just, I, I try to tell everyone, it's just a track day. It's just turned up to 11. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, uh, you know, track days are one thing, but when you're actually fighting for time, uh, yeah. I mean, you might not be, you're not going 100% still. You're still, mm -hmm. you know, in the 70, 80, 90% range, probably trying to find your speed and find confidence. Um, so when you see people going way faster than you or breaking later than you, you're like, oh, uh, well, I'm doing that wrong. But in a track day, mm -hmm don't see that as it's not as pronounced because when you see the entire pack go away from you you're like what am i doing wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's much more obvious in a, in a race what you're doing wrong on an, on the racetrack than in a track day yeah because also with the track day, everyone's kind of like littered together there's different bikes there's different um actual skill levels and yeah when you're in a race everyone there is on you know equal machinery <laughs> but all right. along the same lines so some people might have a few more bucks thrown in theirs than the others but usually at you know club level talent can still win out <laughs> for sure and uh for people who don't know what explain the difference like what how can you race a stock bike that's not like technically stock you know like what are you doing modification wise to a super stock bike bike from the showroom yeah, so a lot of times when it's uh, one of those, because the other thing too with like uh, with this racing, because you always run like multiple classes, and some of the classes you can go and have like a full blown super bike. You can go in there and change cams and go, you know, ape with it. But you always have to build your bike to the lowest your the lowest class you're running. So like you're saying, like with a super stock bike, you usually go in, uh, change out your suspension, change out your brake lines, so you can get better feel, uh, change out your uh, your rotors, uh, if you don't do the calipers, changing out the more aggressive brake pads. Um, uh, trying to think. Well, usually when it comes to the motor stuff, it's the simple, your exhaust, uh, throw a cannon filter in there because you can't change out the airbox. And if you have a restrictor stock, you can't take that out. Um, uh, I think there's a few people who lost Daytona 200 because of that. <laughs> That's no mistake of not reading the rule book right. Exactly. I, I forgot. I think, 
I can't remember who it was, but they were like, yeah, here's our $12,000 air filter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing that for sure. <laughs> but uh, inside the motor, there's not a lot you can do. It's mostly like you can uh, micro finish everything if, if you want, if you have the money to disassemble the motor and go through it. Um, make sure, um, um, blueprint it, make sure all the, the bearings and all the uh, all the parts fit together like at the perfect amount of space and a lot of the ccs um stuff you can deck the heads you know a certain amount and you know get a little bit of extra bang out of it not being too bad so okay. yeah so a lot of people especially with uh um with ccs send the heads off to get decked and uh back cut the valves is like a big thing it's always like put me on that limit i want i want to be able to argue that limit <laughs> right yeah and uh i would definitely say that you know suspension tires and brakes would be your main three things that you should up to to go faster that that uh from a stock bike would be the the main three things i go for um yeah that definitely that, you can I see if you can turn it, stop it, and uh, tires are big. But the funny thing with tires is like, bruh, like a lot of people look at racing when they're doing track day stuff, and they're like, okay, they got slicks and they have this and they have that, and they're a novice and they're trying to throw all stuff on the bike, and like, you know, this this brand sucks or this sucks. I'm like, hey, you're not going fast enough to actually use it. Like you, <laughs> right? The big thing I always tell everyone is like, don't worry about like when you get the bike. Like I gotta change this, I gotta change that, I gotta change that. Just go with the once you outgrow something then change it one it'll it'll save you a lot of money and two you'll actually like understand what the things are doing that you change out and it makes it a lot easier trying to set up um like your suspension settings and stuff like that because you'll understand what i gained for going from the stock rear shock where it was po going no matter what i did over to this olin's and then you'll kind of you have better understanding of how to set all that up versus a lot of the guys that just throw everything in there. There's like, man, these brake pads, they keep glazing over. They're terrible. I'm go with another one. I'm like, yeah, you're just not going fast enough to use your brake pads, dude. Yeah, that's <laughs> enough heat in, um, in, the, in the heat range for those brake pads for them to work in their proper, uh, you know, performance amount. Yeah, there's one guy I used to argue with that, like, when I was coaching him, like, every single track weekend, he would go and buy, like, the next thing, like, oh, this is the silver bullet, now I'm going faster, I'm like, you're gonna go slower now, dude, you're not going fast enough to make those tires work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, uh, so uh, we're just over our one hour mark for today, so where can people find you on social media? Are you out there anywhere in the internets? Yep, I am on Instagram at just underscore Skylar. Um, that's spelled S-C-H-Y-L-E-R. Uh, I will be doing more uh, YouTube stuff this year for the track season. I want to try to cover all my race weekends. So even uh, even though it's from uh, the middle of the pack and uh, expert, uh, hopefully it'll still be entertaining. <laughs> hey, it's good to watch that stuff and see you out there. Yeah, man. So, yeah, that's where I'll be uh, hanging out. Also, uh, anyone in the Virginia well, West Virginia, Maryland area. Um, I'll be out for nearly every motorcycle excitement uh, race weekend I can coaching. And uh, also, if anyone's want to come try out some jujitsu in uh, Virginia, come on out the high road. I'm there nearly every session. <laughs> Very good. Well, I'll, uh, I'll try to get this edited and posted in the next week or so and make sure we tag and share this with everybody so we can uh, get as many eyeballs on it as possible. And uh, I appreciate you coming on here. So thanks a lot, Skylar. And uh, I'll talk to you real soon. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Have a good one, man. Yep. There you guys. Hey, I was just telling myself I wanted to do a, an ad for my business of all the products that I sell. Because um, there's so many that we've been adding over the last few weeks and months and years that it's just uh, hard to recap them all. So uh, real quickly, I'm not going to remember everything off the top of my head, but some of the things that are online right now that you can buy are Acropovic exhausts, we have Spark exhausts, we have M4 performance exhausts, we have Motul suspension setup tools, version 4, the latest one that's out. Unfortunately, there's a delay in shipment again from, from overseas, <clears throat> but those should be back in uh, next month or two. We also have Jim O'Neill, so O'Neill motocross gear. We have Azonic, we have Blur Optics, which are motocross goggles that have a really cool feature that they, um, they have a magnetic 
connection for the goggles so you can swap your lens really quickly with uh, it's just magnetic so there's no tools involved at all we have OGO which is as everybody knows the luggage and backpacks and everything um, which are awesome and have gear bags for when you're traveling which as you're racing you're always traveling um, what are some other Azonic maybe I mentioned this but Azonic mountain bike parts not everything is listed for this brand but um, it's it's um, it's online very soon let's see some of the other brands we have Moto D so Moto D racing and they have tire warmers and uh, rear stands Bonamici Bonamici Italian sport bike parts and rear sets handlebars clip-ons and uh, we also have Driven Racing. Driven has uh, all kinds of hard parts. So fuel caps, sprockets, um, things of that nature. Also for Moto D, we have IRC quick shifters. So up and down blippers, which are very handy to save you time on every lap. Uh, we also have STS, so sport bike transport stands for your trailer. Those are pretty handy. Um, some of the other brands would be Easy Grip Tank Grips. So for every every modern sport bike, we have tank grips available. Um, let's see. We don't. We do have used takeoff tires uh, available in Michelin. I think we have some Pirelli and Dunlops left, and if, I think we have seven more that I haven't even inventoried yet. Um, let's see. So there's a lot of stuff that we sell. We sell over a couple thousand items. We have access to well over 10,000 products, but not all of them are listed for sale yet. Uh, some of those are, that aren't listed are the car parts that we have. So we have Carvin. We have Cosmos Racing Wheels. And Carvin uh, would be exhausts for cars. Cosmos Racing Wheels, uh, wheels for for cars and trucks. Um, we also have BC Racing, which are suspension parts. Angry Acorns is Subaru wide body kits. And uh, these are all gonna be for sale on my website, ericswanracing.com and shopesr.com. And uh, I could keep rambling on for, for a while of all the things that we sell, um, but we're just trying to get it all listed. It takes a long time. To, to get all this stuff listed properly for sale with the right uh, descriptions and everything. So please be patient, but we're working on it and trying to get podcasts out as, as, as much as possible. So trying to provide some original content for you. So let me know what you think, and uh, we'll go from there. Thanks for listening and watching. Peace. Hey, just a quick message. Please head over to my YouTube channel and follow on YouTube under ericswanracing.com podcast and it's also under youtube.com slash emusic2010 it was an old username i haven't been able to change on there yet so you can always search for eric swan racing on youtube and go ahead and subscribe and follow and click that bell icon so you're notified when we post new videos thank you